Yes, you're listening to Law and Gospel on this Bible study Wednesday, March the 20th, in the year of our Lord 2019. What do we do on a Bible study Wednesday? We are requesting congregations to kind of maybe meet in a little Bible study from 9.30 to 10. Listen to us, uh, either through your cell phones or the internet, and then take a half hour after our program to talk about what we have said, because we're always doing it from a long gospel perspective. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 17. Now, why are we doing that? This is the third year for the readings. We have year one, year two, year three, and in this year, uh, we are looking at the readings from Luke. But this is a pericope, a passage that is not involved in the Sunday morning readings. So I thought it might be a good idea to take a look at it, particularly in light of our theme for this week. No matter where I go, I keep getting questions, particularly from parents, about young people who have left the church. We call them nuns, N-O-N-E-S. These are individuals who, for one reason or another, are kind of fed up with the church And I've come to the conclusion it's not really so much about what we say about Jesus and what he did, but about morality. They just no longer can agree with the morality that the church teaches in light of friends who are acting in immoral ways, and it appears that the church is making judgments against them. And we are making judgments against unrepentant sin, no doubt about that. So, the question is, how do you reach out to these people? And there can be a number of times when you will hear questions from these individuals, questioning what they consider to be, shall we say, contradictions in the Bible, or just ridiculous notions, such as crossing the Red Sea, or a six-day, 24-hour creation, or miracles of the Old Testament, miracles in the New Testament, and that anybody can be born of a virgin, and the resurrection from the dead, etc. Now, there are two ways in which you can overcome those objections. You can, first of all, talk about them and show them that they're misreading the Scripture and how these things are truly historical. But that is by using reason. And unfortunately, nuns who have left the church do no longer have faith, particularly in the words of Scripture. So quoting Scripture to tell them, well, this is obvious that this happened, here's what Scripture says, doesn't do any good because they don't believe Scripture. So how do we reach out if we cannot use reason? Well... That's the name of this program. It's called Law and Gospel. And today we're going to take a look at how Jesus reaches out. The text begins with verse 10. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, what's the Sabbath? In Judaism, 
And for many of the Jews from the Old Testament, the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday. That's the day that God rested. And so they had hundreds and hundreds of rules of what you could not do on the Sabbath. And they were really watching Jesus because they disagreed with what he was teaching, but they were trying to catch him on whether or not he was going to be breaking the laws of Judaism. Verse 11, And there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, this means that she had particular physical symptoms because of an unclean spirit that had possessed her. So what does Jesus do? He calls her over, this is verse 12, and says to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight And she glorified God. Now, notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, by the way, I have come to earth as a human being, born of a Virgin Mary. I'm going to die on the cross to forgive your sins. I'm going to rise from the dead. No, no. What Jesus does, he takes a look at her and sees what pain she is going through. And this is really important because I truly believe that the nuns that were trying to reach out with the message of Jesus Christ are in pain. They're in pain because when they think about God now and because of the secular world, uh, colleges, etc., speaking negatively about God they really see a God with a frowning face. And therefore, they cannot get rid of their pain because everywhere they look in the Bible, it appears that God is frowning to them. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes through all of the commandments. You know, murder is not only actual deeds of killing someone, but thoughts and words. And what does he say? You got to stop that, then you'll be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect. Well, that doesn't seem very nice because even nuns recognize they are unable to do the things that they think they should be doing. They may not call it sin. They may call it mistakes or errors in judgment or weakness of the flesh or, or whatever. But the task is to find where someone is in pain that you're speaking with. Why do they think, and here's the question you could ask them, why do you think that God has a frown on his face when you think about him? And then they'll give you an answer. And under that answer is the pain that they have. They can't control the world. They don't understand why God, if he's so loving, why he allows even little children to die in terrible circumstances. I'll give you all kinds of reasons. 
but they're coming from a view of God that is painful for them. Now, this woman, obviously, her pain was clear to everybody. She was bent over. She had a disability. Jesus clears her of her pain. In other situations, people have a pain of sin. And he clears that by forgiveness. In other words, this is a law and gospel point of view. Through the law, you come to understand where someone has a pain. And even if they say, oh, life is wonderful, I don't have any worries or anything, that, that's a lie. No, nobody can be living on this earth, which is the domain of Satan, and not going through some kind of pain. In fact, you'll hear people say, yeah, I had a wonderful brother or sister, and they died in a car accident, and I cannot understand why God did that. that that's the pain. So once you find the pain, that's the law part, then you move to the gospel, which can free them from that pain. And that takes some study. That's why pastors are trained for years at the seminary. In this particular case, uh, the woman had a disability due to an unclean spirit, so Jesus relieved her of her unclean spirit. Those of you listening right now or studying with me, look at the pains that you're going through. Realize that there is no pain that you have that God cannot relieve it. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He's in full control of what happens to you. And therefore, Romans 8.28, for example, all things will work together for your good, is a promise of his. And this is why even Christians need to attend church and Bible study weekly in order to understand how God relieves the pains that all of us are going through to some degree or another. Well, anyway, Jesus lays his hands on her. Immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue was indignant against Jesus. Why was he indignant? Because Jesus, it says, had healed on the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest. So if you had some kind of illness, you weren't to go to the doctor on the Sabbath. You had to wait till Sunday or one of the other days of the week in order to go to know what you had to do in order to relieve that particular illness. And he said to the uh, people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. So here is somebody who thinks he's a member of God's kingdom, but he has a rule that you're not able as a doctor to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Now, this is not found in the Old Testament it is found in the new religion called Judaism, which came about after the Babylonian captivity, where Jerusalem was destroyed, and priests were instead replaced with rabbis. 
there were no sacrifices able to be done simply because the temple was destroyed. And so a reading of the law took place. In fact, the congregation I was at for 28 years, three blocks away there was a Jewish synagogue. Our congregation was best known for the crosses that we had on our building. They were best known for the Ten Commandments that they had in front of their building, on their building, etc. Because they believed that the Ten Commandments were the way to heaven. So what does Jesus answer them? You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? So here Jesus is giving an example to them of how they are being inconsistent. They say you ought to do no work on the Sabbath, but they even untie their animals to lead them to water. That's work. And he continues, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, so that means she has faith, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. So what Jesus is doing is giving uh, an analogy. You yourself work on the Sabbath day to help out your animals. You're, you're saying that we ought not to help out a human being? You're a hypocrite. Now, the word hypocrite doesn't mean that on Sunday you pray to God not to sin and then you sin the rest of the week. No, that, that's just being a human being. A hypocrite is somebody who's kind of an actor. They pretend that they have fulfilled what is necessary to be right with God and they really haven't. So they act righteous. They are self-righteous rather than Christ-righteous. Now, it appears these guys never learn because in the same book, Luke chapter 6, I want you to go back to that. Now, don't lose your place in Luke 13 because we'll come back to that. But in Luke chapter 6, uh, beginning with verse 6, there's a man with a withered hand. And listen how similar this is. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he arose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they, that's the Pharisees and scribes, were filled with fury and discussed with one another 
what they might do. Of course, they finally decide to crucify him because they are so angry that Jesus is disturbing their rules about how to be saved, namely by particularly obeying the ceremonial laws. That one Pharisee, thank God I'm not like that tax collector, I fast, I tithe. Notice he's not talking moral laws, he's talking ceremonial laws. So what Jesus does here in this situation is he finds the pain of the person. And it is my contention that every nun, a person who has left the church, they are in pain. And one needs to find out where that pain is. Their understanding that Jesus has a frowning face every time they read about him is really a self-defense mechanism they have so they don't have to believe in Jesus. I mean, when Jesus came and said, I'm the Messiah, they said, isn't he the son of Joseph? I mean, he's a carpenter. How can he be the Messiah? And, And so they had reason after reason why he couldn't be the Messiah which were all self-defense mechanisms against listening to his word. And so what Jesus says, you know, this is the daughter of Abraham. Satan has bound her for 18 years, and he loosed her from this bond on the Sabbath day. I mean, that's a wonderful gift that God gives. And here's the point of proper witnessing. You find out where the pain is. Why are people rejecting Jesus Christ? And the way you do that is say, what is it that you don't like about Jesus or about God in the Bible? What is it that you don't like about the Bible? And you'll find their pain. And then by God's grace, you get rid of that pain by means of the gospel. I mean, somebody may say, well... You know, I try and be a good person, and I'm not, and it's very clear from the Bible that I'm going to go to hell because I'm not good enough for God. And uh, I was listening to Sirius XM, and there was a comedian on there, and he mentioned that he was a Christian. And he said, when I say that, people say, oh, you think that you're better than us? As a Christian, see, that's part of a misunderstanding of Christianity they have. But here's how he replied. He said, no, I I don't think I'm better than you are. It's Jesus who thinks that I'm better than you are. (laughs) And everybody laughed. Well, in a sense, a person who has faith in Jesus and has had his sins forgiven isn't a better standing with Jesus than those who refuse to repent of their sins or to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, verse 17. As he said these things. Now, this is critical because those who were against Jesus were not just the Pharisees and scribes. They had listened to the secular voices of the Pharisees and scribes, some of the lay people, and they were against Jesus. So what's their reaction to this? 
where Jesus takes care of the pain of this woman and says very clearly, I'm just not doing anything more than you do when you go and untie your animals and work to take them to drinking water. And that's on a Sabbath. So verse 17, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. So the adversaries were put to shame. Remember, there comes a time when they even stop asking Jesus questions because every time they ask him a question, trying to trick him, he comes back with an answer that puts them in shame. Like, are we to pay taxes to Caesar? Well, give me a coin and whose inscription is on this coin? It's Caesar's. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. And, and they were silent. But what about the people who had a view of Jesus with a frowning face because he was coming and telling them he was the Messiah, that he was God, this kind of thing? Verse 17, as he said these things, notice, as he said these things, the word, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Had a conversation last night with a former field worker of mine that's a seminarian assigned to my congregation. He had called me. He had a problem, he thought. He had a couple who were not married but had a child, and they wanted the child baptized. Should he baptize a child from a couple who is not yet married? That kind of disturbed him. And rightly so. And I made the point that when we have the opportunity to baptize a child, particularly when brought by the parents, we would have a lengthy conversation with the parents about why do you want the child baptized? And you learn some things there. And in one case that I had, they said, well, Grandma, who's in California, will take us out of the will if we don't baptize our child. And I finally came to the realization, with the help of a layperson in my congregation, that I would go ahead and baptize the child and make the grandmother the godmother so that she would be sending material to the child and remembering the child on birthday and other anniversaries and give them Christian material. Whether or not these people would get married, I'll tell you, I would have them baptize the child in a church service. They would hear a sermon about the smiling face of Jesus toward them, not only toward their child and the gift that the child was receiving, but also the gift that Jesus has for them in regard to the forgiveness of sins. And if they understood that gift, they would then end up with Jesus with a smiling face rather than a frowning face. So definitely, we baptize the child and use the opportunity to share the message with, these, with this couple about what is proper marriage. And hopefully they will get married, hopefully begin to attend the church and begin to rejoice, as these people did, as they recognized the smiling face of Jesus rather than the face 
they think is always frowning towards them. For some reason, therefore, people who are leaving the church, young people, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, who say we don't have any, we have none of a denomination, they're in pain somewhere. Jesus can relieve that pain. And he doesn't do it by telling them the historical events of the Bible because they don't believe the historical events. Instead, you tell them the gospel. It's called kerygma. And that is where Jesus gives you all kinds of brightness. He is the light of the world. He calms your fears, all kinds of things he does, and allow the Holy Spirit to take those words and bring a person back into the fold. Long gospel, rather than reason, as a way of approaching the nuns. And we're going to continue with our conversation tomorrow. It's Rumination Thursday with Wes Reimnitz. And we'll talk about this again in a different context, how to reach out to the nuns. I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.